For the State Department, diplomacy and projecting American values around the world relies on the Foreign Service staff and its ambassadors. But it uses other means to enhance the mission, like art and artists. For more on the Art in Embassies program, we have the acting director of the state's Bureau of Overseas Building Operations, Henry Jardine. Mr. Jardine, good to have you on. Tom, thank you very much. Enjoy the opportunity to speak a little bit about what we do with our overseas buildings and uh, the art that we put in those buildings. And this is more than old master style paintings of George Washington on the Potomac reproduced and put in every embassy, isn't it? Very much so. What we're trying to do, actually, is really use the embassies as a platform to project more about the United States, project our art, our culture, and really provide opportunities for people to connect with the U.S., with the U.S. people and our U.S. culture. And the implication there is that lots of people in foreign countries visit the U.S. embassy for one purpose or another. Uh, Tom, yeah, typically they do. Often, you know, as you know, many people want to travel to the U.S., although that's been a bit challenged with COVID, but I'm, I'm assuming we'll see people coming again. And we have always had lots of visitors. And so they need visas in many cases. And the place they go to get those visas are the embassies and consulates we have overseas. And when they're in those facilities, that's a perfect opportunity to show more about the United States in a very positive light. I think, as we all know, the culture of the United States is one that is out there and, and is global and, and has you know appreciation from large audiences. But you know we really want to give as much exposure as we can to the art and culture of the United States. And you have an automatic audience when you talk about people coming in for visas. And so what is the process by which in a given embassy the art is chosen? And I guess it's probably more than simply painted art on a frame on a wall, too, isn't it? So tell us about how the whole art in embassies program works in general. Well, you know, we have a wonderful team of curators, uh, registrars, and a strong team of people with backgrounds in art. And that office, Art and Embassy office within my bureau, the Bureau of Overseas Buildings Operations, which is, again, part of the State Department, you know, that team is very trained, very connected, very knowledgeable of art, you know, very, you know, a, a cross section of art. What they typically do is, is when we have a new building that's being commissioned, a new building that's being constructed overseas, for instance, we are in the process of finishing an embassy in Maputo. Also, we're preparing a, a new consulate project for Milan. So a percentage of that project, uh, and these projects are typically hundreds of millions of dollars, so a small percentage of the project is allocated for art. And our art and embassies team will take that budget and then they'll look at the environment, they'll look at the building, they'll look at the, uh, and they're very much involved in the early designs of the building, and they'll look at how the building is being designed. They'll think about what is the cultural touch points in that country, what are the things that are distinctive about the art, design, culture of a particular country, and then what are the things that are comparable in the U.S.? How would our experiences in the U.S. have a link or share some of that relationship? And so the idea is you want to have art that's sort of sensitive to the local culture in a way. Uh, if, for instance, in a country where you know the art is expressed through textiles, you may look at an artist in the United States who specializes in textiles and then use that artwork as a way of having a bit of a dialogue so that when somebody from that country comes in and they're getting their visa, they may recognize elements of their local art, but see how it, it parallels in the U.S. Or, for instance, you know, you, there may be something distinctive in the nature and ecology and the environment of that country, and, and it'll be manifest in the art there in the embassy. An example is, is for instance, in Jakarta, there's a very uh, beautiful piece of art in the main lobby of that embassy that is a, sort of a sculpture almost of various sea life of starfish, 
shells and other sea life that's sort of arranged in a very artistic way, colored in a very artistic way that's there in the lobby of the new embassy in Jakarta that was recently completed just a couple of years ago. And so, you know, again, Jakarta is an archipelago. It's very much connected with the sea. But then this brings that element in there and it has an aesthetic value, but it also has a link to both the you know, the United States and to the local dynamic. Sorry to go on, you know, I very much enjoy this this topic because I think it's a, a unique, distinctive way we engage in diplomacy that most people just don't know about. Yeah, Thank it really you. is distinctive so that people get a sense of their own nation as interpreted by American artists to some degree then. Yes, very much so. For instance, in Maputo, one of the kinds of styles of art is sort of found art. In other words, we've been looking at working with a local artist who takes, in fact, it's a commentary on some of the conflict that had been in that country, takes old weapons, old pieces of metal and welds them together to form artwork. We have similar artists here in the United States who do some found art where they take, uh, you know, farming utensils and they weld them together and they create sort of an artistic sculpture. And so you have these kinds of parallels between the local artist and the artists in the United States and you create that dialogue. And so those are the kinds of approaches we try to take when we think about the art. We want it to be an art that has many dimensions and allows for connections between our two cultures. We're speaking with Henry Jardine. He's acting director of the Bureau of Overseas Building Operations at the State Department. And how does one get to be an artist employed by the State Department or used by the State Department? Well, you know, I guess you you have to be good <laughs> in simple terms. That's a good but, start. You know, yeah, that's a good start. It's very simple. Um, no, but uh, what our team tries to do is they try to look for a sort of up-and-coming artist. And it, oftentimes, when, once they've identified an artist, you know, they get more famous, not just because they're working for us, but because I think we have a you know a very good team that has a good eye for the sort of the up and coming artists that will you know I think get recognition going forward. And so that's why when we look at opportunities for working with artists, we try to find artists that you know show a lot of imagination that are sort of doing cutting edge kinds of approaches in their medium, whether it's in sculpture, whether it's in you know sort of illustration, paint, textile pottery, a whole host of different kinds of artistic medium, you know, looking for artists who, you know, are starting to really make a name for themselves or getting recognized through different exhibitions or through presence at different museums or through different, you know, awards, and then use those artists, you know, to be able to, again, reflect on how the United States and the art has been evolving, uh, make it interesting and dynamic. Similarly, they do work with local artists at times, you know, artists that are also up and coming artists that, you know, would be of note. And so that gives us an opportunity really to get artists who are sort of on their upswing and then, you know, help those artists in a way to be able to project more to a global audiences. And we do, in addition to the art that's what we call a permanent installation that are in the embassies that were, or consulates that we're constructing, we also do sort of temporary exhibits. Whenever an ambassador is getting prepared to go overseas, they are allowed the opportunity to do a temporary exhibit. In other words, they will do a, a specifically curated exhibit for them in particular. And what that allows then an ambassador to do is they come in and they consult with our art and embassy team. And they think about the kinds of themes, images, messages that they want to have as sort of uh, as, as I think emblematic of their tenure, typically an ambassador will spend three years in a particular country. And so working with our team, they'll then look at potential artists that might be interested in collaborating. And oftentimes we're fortunate that many artists, you know, will loan their work. And so it's, it's 
you know, a good relationship. It's not just simply us purchasing work, but also artists who are interested in having their work exhibited. And, you know, I think that's a great uh, benefit to the U.S. taxpayer and the U.S. government as a result. Sure. If there's an exhibit that is mounted at a particular embassy, that's a good opportunity for the ambassador there to have foreign nationals, his counterparts or her counterparts, come in for an encounter. Uh, They have the pretext of the art, and it's just a way to build relationships, too, I imagine. Very much so. And the other nice thing we often do is we will have the artists go overseas as well. You know, they will travel, you know, with their art at times for these exhibits and they'll have dialogues with artists there, also with students. And, you know, again, one of the things we're very focused on just as a matter of course, I think, across the U.S. government when we're overseas is engaging with an up and coming generation of people. You know, they will be the future leaders of countries. And so we want to make sure that the U.S. engagement with that up and coming generation is one that's that's multi-layered and comprehensive. And so, you know, this is just another avenue for having that dialogue. And I think it's a way that, you know, people engage with more. I, you know, again, we can go and have very dry policy discussions But that doesn't engage a cross-section of people in a particular country. This is an entree that I think really helps us. And for your own job, overseas building operations, I imagine the art aspect of this is probably a lot more compelling than, say, dealing with a broken air conditioner in Dubai. Well, I can't say that because I know our facilities managers here would get upset if I said that. But uh, I could understand why one would think that. Um, but we have a you know a great team of people. They're very skilled and talented engineers, and they're all appreciated. But it, I think on the art side, obviously, the aesthetics interest, and, and it's, it is a fascinating area, and it's one that I don't think typically gets as much exposure. But, yeah, you're right. It, it can be quite engaging. Henry Jardine is acting director of the Bureau of Overseas Building Operations at the State Department. Thanks so much for joining me. Tom, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about something that I don't think many people are aware of. And I hope folks uh, look into this and, and uh, read a bit about it. Thank you. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, Since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader. All of these are backward-looking development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is 
ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired others and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, Today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves, and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation, uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, My father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, He joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've led this is my second uh, major organization that I've led And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person, 
or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.